Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Speak to me! Grant Falky, speak! To me, if memory serves me correct, that's actually track one from Pink Floyd's masterpiece, The Dark Side of the Moon, right? Doesn't speak to me, run right into uh, breathe, breathe in the air. I I believe it does. And that's what we're going to get tomorrow. Trent Baalke, congratulations. The right move. Should have happened a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to get it. And it'll be at 1130. It's a very important press conference. I, I don't know for sure if we're going to get anything out of it as far as a tremendous amount of value, but I think it's more than just his words. I think it'll be interesting to measure his facial expressions tomorrow, his body language. Um, I expect some, some pretty difficult questions are going to come his way. Um, there also feels like... This is really awkward. It's almost like a bad first date. And I'd like to say a bad second date, but I don't ever remember getting that type of an opportunity after a bad first date. It feels awkward. What the hell's going on down there? You know, again, Peterson telling us, I need time, a couple of days, three hours later, we're smack dab in the beginning of our show, and all of a sudden we found out that the defensive coaches have been fired. All but three of the defensive coaches were fired. And oh, by the way, that's even a little odd. When you bring in a new defensive coordinator like Ryan Nielsen, you're being told that there's already three guys that Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke and Shad kind of elected uh, to keep. And I, I know that that is more of the norm than a new GM coming in with a lame duck head coach or a new head coach coming in with a lame duck general manager. Uh, just look at Ryan Nielsen. For the most part, he went to Atlanta. That staff was already intact, uh, you know, a year ago after becoming a or after leaving as the co-defensive coordinator in New Orleans. But you're trying to figure out, you know, where's the voice? Who's the voice? You know, when it comes down to it, you need a decision maker. Who makes the decisions on this team? You know, if they're going to tell us that they're true to the board, They're true to their mock draft. And when they come up at 17, regardless of what happens, they're going to be true to their pick. And they've gone off, you know, they've gone after it with mock drafts time and time again. Free agency, I don't know how those conversations go. My my opinion has always been Trent Bulky has the final say. If Doug Peterson disagrees, with the 17th pick in the draft. If Doug Peterson disagrees that you're going to give this particular player this amount of money in free agency, 
That is Trent Baalke's responsibility to bring in the players, okay? I may be wrong with this, but it's my feeling. I've also always been under the belief that it's Doug Peterson who hires his coaches, right? The GM hires the players. The coaches, uh, the coach hires his assistant coaches. Am I wrong to say that what we witnessed three weeks ago felt awkward, felt weird? Afterward, I, I don't think Doug Peterson is going to come right out and just give the media a bald face lie. Although he did get kind of caught in, um, I'm not going to call it a fib, but just a, hey, I, my definition of the 2023 Jacksonville Jaguars was miscommunication. And it began from the top all the way to the bottom. I mean, they were just a wreck with the way that they communicated uh, to us, the way they communicated, more importantly, to one of uh, to each and every one on the team. I mean, Doug Peterson told us that Trevor was going to go out and throw. And what, 90 minutes later, he didn't throw. And people were texting me and saying this and saying that, that Doug Peterson lied. He didn't lie. Why would he lie about something that you, you can be totally proven that it's not the case an hour and a half later? He didn't lie, so it was one of two things. Either Trevor had a major setback or miscommunication. The coach did his presser, but he wasn't aware of the fact that Trevor was not going to throw because he came out and said that he would throw. At least individually, he'd be limited and not a DMP, and that was a report on that particular day. And it was the same deal when he was wrapping up the season. All right, we didn't get a tremendous amount out of it. I tell you what I got out of the season-ending press conference. Number one, he was 30 minutes late, which is poor business. Number two, he didn't want to use injuries as an excuse, but he used it on the left side of the offensive line. And number three, once again, he said he needed time to think about what he was going to do as far as coaching. Needed a couple of days. And then within three hours... It was decided. That sounds like, to me, someone else got involved. Who was that someone else? Was it Trent Baalke himself? Was it Shad Khan? All of a sudden, there's a lot of Shad Khan talk. Shad Khan wanted to replace the coordinators. Shad Khan wants this. Shad Khan wants that. We haven't heard from Shad Khan. The only thing we've gotten from Shad Khan, you ready for this, people? Let's all celebrate together now. Let's hold hands. We got a game coming up in London. Ah, and Shad was all happy about that. He put it in his release. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Congratulations. Let's continue that outstanding tradition playing out there. That's all we've heard from him. So I don't know the answer to these questions, and I, I hope we get a better understanding tomorrow. Right? I think it's going to be very important to, to kind of um, get an idea as to where this organization is. The retirement rumors, I don't think he'll speak on that. You know, is there a rift between him and Peterson right now? I, my guess is that he's going to kind of laugh at that one and give us uh, the expected answer. But there's a lot of things that we need to figure out. And I, I, I think that really paying attention tomorrow and trying to get some sort of clarity as to what exactly is going on right now with this football organization is huge. Uh, This is a franchise that is horrible with communication. Just terrible. I mean, just awful. 
you got one fan base. You, they are your customers. Damn it, you, you do everything you can to reach out to these people. Uh, ignoring them is Bush League. It is. And it starts at the top. And I don't know if Trent Bulky planned on speaking all along. I don't know if someone finally got to Trent Bulky because for the last week and a half here on the radio station and everywhere else, there's been a lot of, where is he? Why aren't we hearing anything? I really complained about this yesterday after we heard Brandon Bean spend 63 minutes talking in Buffalo after they fell short of their expectations. It's just proper business. Stand up there, take the questions, give us the answers, and then move along. Go do the rest of your work. So, again, that's why this whole thing is awkward. It feels like there's another voice. I don't know who the other voice is. It's very mysterious at this time. The best part of it all is that the starting point for this football team is a heck of a lot better now than it was a couple of years ago. And Trent Bulky deserves a lot of credit for that. Has he made mistakes? Absolutely. And he finds himself now in the biggest offseason that he's ever had. And I think this is going to end up being the most exciting offseason that the Jaguars have ever had. Just to kind of run things down in my mind, here's what is most important for Trent Bulky, beginning right now at 10 minutes past 6 o'clock on this Wednesday night. Number one, you've got to announce your coaching staff. And, you know, how tricky can that be? Are, are they considering going after coaches out of any one of the four teams that still remain, that, uh, that play in the championship games coming up on Sunday? Could they possibly be looking at a guy like Jesse Minter at Michigan if Jim Harbaugh leaves? There was a report out, I think it was 24-7 Sports last week, that said if he wanted the defensive coordinator position, he could have had it. I didn't see it anywhere else. But I saw it on 24-7 Sports. We do know that Ryan Nielsen is in as the uh, defensive coordinator. I reported yesterday that Dave Huxtable will be a part of this staff. He was a senior assistant uh, for Nielsen this past year out in uh, Atlanta. Most of the career for Huxtable has been in college football. But, you know, I haven't seen that anywhere else. And I wouldn't expect Jacksonville to announce, you know, a coach here, a coach there. I think you're going to get a release once they announce their entire staff. That, that's typically the way uh, things do go. Chris Richard was mentioned today. I saw that out there. Another guy who apparently has interviewed for a position here defensively with the Jags. We're going to get a lot of that over the next week or so until they finally do announce what their staff looks like for the 2024 season. So that's primary responsibility number one. And again, not to be redundant, but if you're joining us for the first time, what becomes confusing about this is I don't know if this is all Doug Peterson or is it Trent Bulky or is it what I guess he will answer with tomorrow and say, well, it's a combined effort. Isn't that the easy way out? Everything we do around here is a combined effort. Well, you know when you have two leaders, you have three leaders, you have different opinions. Who has final say? I don't know if we'll get clarity on that, but I kind of hope we do. In, in, my, in my mind, it's Bulky who gets the players. It's Peterson who announces the coaches. That's my look. I don't know if that's the case. I honestly don't know. We know that Doug and, – and, you know, here we are again before this press conference. What's lost in all this? You know, I – 
I love when people think that they can change a human being, right? There's certain things you can't change. If you're a bad guy, chances are you can do whatever you want. You're still going to be a bad guy. If you're a good guy, you you may make a mistake. You may be in the wrong, wrong place at the wrong time. You're still a pretty good guy, right? There are things that you cannot change with people. One of those, in my mind, is work ethic. If you're a dog, you're a dog. If you're a loafer, you're a loafer. You can threaten them. You can scold them. You can ground them. Do parents still ground? I know I didn't ground, but I was a divorced dad. I couldn't ground, right? I, I kind of like one day a week and this. How, how, how the hell do you ground your kids when, when you see them for like six hours? You know, I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, Florida law sucks for you men out there. Stay unhappy, stay married, don't get divorced. Um, But work ethic is not something that you can fix. Maybe for a short period of time, you can fake that individual. Oh, look at his effort. First the leave, you know, first in, last the leave. We all know when, when time continues to travel, when time continues to move forward, you're going to go back to your your old habits, your old ways. That's the same thing that's going on right now with Trent Bulky and Doug Peterson. Okay, old ways. Until we know more, what type of tunnel have they put themselves in? I'll tell you. Trent Bulky right now is in the tunnel of he can't get along with anyone. He had massive problems at the end of the road. In San Francisco, it's Trent Bulky against the world. The tunnel that Doug Peterson is in. Doug Peterson is loyal to a fault. Doug Peterson's going to take every bullet for Press Taylor. Did Doug Peterson really want to relieve the nine coaches who are no longer here? Would he have just as soon stayed with it and try to fix it. Again, that's his tunnel. What do you think kicked him out of Philadelphia, man, a year after winning the Super Bowl? They fired this man a year after winning the Super Bowl in Philadelphia. So, again, you can disguise it. You can try to hide it. You can camouflage it. You can do whatever you want, but people fall back into their own tunnels. That's where we are. Google it, the reputation on Trent Bulky. You're not going to have to go too far until you find out that he doesn't get along with anyone. Google Doug Peterson. Look at his reputation. You're not going to have to go too far until you find out that he is loyal, too loyal, with his job. Right? That's where we are. Even with the firing of these nine coaches, I don't care if you're in a pool hall. I don't care if you're in a saloon or a salon. No one is going to be, can you believe Doug Peterson? He just fired nine coaches. No. No, it's, it, it doesn't feel like it was Doug Peterson. Not after telling us that he needed time. It feels forced. And again, that's why right now this thing is awkward for the Jacksonville Jaguars. In order. And I'm going to get to most of this on the other side. This is what Trent Bulky has to take care of now immediately for the Jaguars. Coaching staff we just covered. After that, March 5th, that is the franchise tag deadline. 
what are you going to do, Trent Baalke? Are you going to give Josh Allen basically a blank check? Are you going to say, here it is, whatever you want, here's a four-year extension? He's earned it. Are you going to give it to him? For every person that I talk to about this, and that includes the listeners who I value at 641-1010 in our text line, brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures, for everyone who says, give him the bag, give him four years, whatever he wants, someone else will say, uh-uh, slap a franchise tag on him. That's first up. That's March 5th. Oh, by the way, who else is eligible for a franchise tag? Calvin Ridley. Can you possibly put a franchise tag on Calvin Ridley? I have an answer for you. Hell no. Miscommunication again with him. If there's one player on this team who needs to practice every single day, it's Calvin Ridley. Whether he was running the wrong routes, was disinterested, or it was Trevor Lawrence's fault, the bottom line is they weren't on the same page. So I hope this is a brighter front office where they understand that a franchise tag for Calvin Ridley is immediately removed because you can't have him sitting out the entire offseason. Josh Allen, you could probably get away with that. Josh Allen is talented enough, and Bill Shuey remains as the outside linebacker coach. Yeah, the scheme is going to change now with Ryan Nielsen, but Josh Allen's a good enough football player that you can plug him in in week one, and it will probably be okay. Calvin Ridley, are you kidding me? So eliminate the franchise tag from him right now. You can't do it. He has to practice. Fifth-year option. Obviously, you're going to give it to Trevor, right? You have until May 2nd. What about Travis Etienne? How valued are running backs right now in the NFL? What was he, third in attempts? He was in top 10 in, in total yards from the line of scrimmage. The offensive line was terrible. His average per carry was down. He went from, what, 5.1 to 3.8. You're going to give him first-round money? You're going to give him a fifth-year option first-round money, uh, which will be technically his fourth year in the league because year one was lost with an injury? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think he's earned it. But, again, you could find running backs all over the place. They literally grow on trees. And is this organization going to go in that particular direction? I understand that this is technically a bulky pick. I got to believe his ego plays into this, right? Josh Allen wasn't a bulky pick. Calvin Ridley was a bulky trade. uh, Trevor Lawrence, uh, I mean, we love our custodial engineer who comes in here each and every Tuesday night. The guy's got, you know, uh, what are you guessing, J.J., 30, 40, 50, 60% of all his income each and every week on on, on bets? I, I've seen the size of some of those bets. They're enormous. Uh, mostly on the Jags. Yes, plays the Jags. He's had a, he had it was a, a rough year. He had a rough December. There was no Christmas for his family in, uh, in December. Uh, but he could have picked Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the whole world knew to pick Trevor Lawrence. Travis Etienne is a totally different story. All right? What are they going to do there? That becomes very fascinating uh, for me. I want to save the last part of this because I want to dive deep into it. Um, it's about restructuring and releasing. And um, I have numbers that support it. But this is the pecking order now for Trent Balky. Okay. 
coaches immediately. The franchise tag deadline is five weeks away. All right. You've got the fifth year option to announce before May 2nd. And obviously, with the league year beginning officially on March 13th, the tampering period on March 11th, there are so many interesting decisions that this team is going to have to make as far as either restructuring current players or just flat out releasing them. Yeah, there'll be dead cap money, but you'll also be able to recoup millions and millions and millions and put those resources elsewhere to try to help this football team. So we'll get to that here on the other side. also want to get to Florida State a little bit. Uh, Their schedule was just announced. The U, their schedule was just announced. We will hear from the Philly Godfather in about 25 minutes. He's going to join us, and we'll take a look at Championship Sunday. Also at 7 o'clock, much more coming up on the Jaguars as we will visit with our friend John Osher. All right, opening comments tonight and every night are brought to you by Schmunez Vision. Um, there's a feeling in life that if you pay more, you're getting something that's better, right? And that applies in so many different things. Certainly tickets, tickets to a concert, tickets to a game. Um, you would think that that's the case uh, when it comes perhaps to a meal. Well, not always, right? It's certainly not the situation when it comes to your eyes. I mean, who really knows about your eyes? When you go and visit your Uh, your practice and you go to your eye doctor and they tell you this is the newest and the most advanced technology and and we can do this for you and do that for you then you look at the size of the bill and like you got to be kidding me is this really where we're at well the most expensive is not always the best when it comes to your eyes instead it's much more important to trust all right and that's a family organization who's been around here for years and years and years schmunez vision dr neo schmunez Performed surgery on my right eye eight and a half years ago. Dr. Catherine Schmunez, fellowship trained in cornea cataract surgery. Combined, that's more than 30 years worth of laser eye surgery experience. Imagine the rest of your life never having to worry about your eyes. You got enough to worry about out there. But not have to worry about your eyes. 2020 vision for the rest of your days. Do me a favor. Check them out online. Everything is explained to you. A tremendous family practice. Just go to SchmunezVision.com, SchmunezVision.com, care you can see. We are absolutely packed. It is a Wednesday night edition. This is Into the Night. He's J.J. LaSelva. My name is Rick Ballou. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. I have a correction to make according to the 6793. And it's good news. It says Florida law changed last summer. Dads now get 50-50 custody here in our state. Was not aware of that. And I went through my divorce, well, maybe 16 years or so ago. And it, it was just brutal. It was just awful. So it, it, it can't take any of that back. Um, but I'm happy now for, for current dads. If you're, uh, so forget what I said earlier about stay unhappy and stay married. No, uh, get divorced. Uh, you got 50, 50 custody. That, that is a law change here. According to the 6793, I haven't looked it up. Are you aware of that? You don't have kids or anything yet. So you don't have to be looking for any of that type of stuff. You're happily married anyway. You're part of the 1%. 
long have you been married now? Three months, four months, five months? Um, yeah, it's about right. Yeah. Five-ish. Good. Matt House has been hired, linebacker coach. Last couple of years at LSU, defensive coordinator. He was the Chiefs linebacker coach years 2019 through 2021. This was according to Tom, uh, according to Tom Pelissaro with the NFL Network. So what we know right now is Ryan Nielsen is a defensive coordinator. I reported yesterday that Dave Huxtable would be a part of this staff. He was the senior assistant, uh, defensive assistant in Atlanta last year. Don't know if he'll have the same title here, but he'll be on the staff. And now, according to Tom Pelissaro, Matt House, uh, a linebacker coach and defensive coordinator at LSU for the last two years, also, going back to 2019 through 2021, he was the linebacker coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Philly Godfather coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, we, I just want to wrap up on my bulky as far as what is there for him, you know, in order. Coaching staff one, franchise tag deadline March 5th, fifth-year player option. For Trevor and for Travis on May 2nd, obviously, league year begins officially on March 13th. Uh, Jacksonville's got about 16, 17 unrestricted free agents. Among those, Josh Allen, Calvin Ridley. There's a few others that are important. Uh, You know, Ezra Cleveland, uh, Trey Herndon. Maybe a special teams guy like Daniel Thomas. But for the most part, I, I, I think they all leave. Unless you get back of the, you know, end of the roster guys that are struggling to make the team. Maybe a Dewan Smoot, right? I don't think there's going to be a large market on Dewan Smoot. Maybe you can get a hometown discount on him in June or July, if that makes any sense. I'd be absolutely shocked if you hear that, you know, it's March 14th and the Jaguars have just re-upped with Dewan Smoot. I, I couldn't see that that is even close to being a priority. But there are big names here, and you can't keep them under the current wage. So Trent Baalke is going to have to do one of two things, restructure these contracts or flat-out release the football player. He's going to go through a few of them, and obviously as we get closer to mid-March, we're going to spend much more time on it, uh, but Christian Kirk has a cap figure this year of $24,236,000. I think you learned as a Jaguar fan that Christian Kirk is the number one wide receiver on this football team. He's not as explosive as Calvin Ridley. Then again, you as Jaguar fans didn't really see a Calvin Ridley explosive play until week 18, game 17. That was too late. Christian Kirk is the most important wide receiver on this team. You restructure that contract. It's going to be the second time they've had to do it. Brandon Sheriff has a cap number of $23,967,000. He gone. You're flat out going to cut the right guard who's not the player he once was. It does become a little bit more cost effective to release him after June 1st, right? Now, that'll hurt Jacksonville when you're trying to add players in March but it makes more sense for the organization to, la- to wait until June 1st 
And this is all according to OverTheCap.com. Again, there could be some other things within the contract where you could space this out over a second year as far as dead money, stuff that I'm not aware of. We, we don't have the contracts. But if you release Brandon Sheriff pre-June 1st, you got to need a dead cap figure of $14,868,000. All right, and you bring back $9 million. If you wait post-June 1st, you would eat $7,467,000, but you would add to your overall salary cap $16,500,000. So, again, unless there's something else written in that contract, the Brandon Sheriff release makes more sense post-June 1st. Foyer Oluicon, he's gone. $21,750,000 is his cap figure. This is according to OverTheCap.com. Same deal. If you look at June 1st, okay, if you cut him prior to June 1st, the dead cap money is $14,502,000. If you wait until post, the dead money is $6,750,000. And you bring in $15 million. For those of you who don't know what the dead cap money is, the dead cap money has no effect on anything outside of the salary cap. The salary cap is supposed to be $240 million this year. The dead cap money counts against it. So in the case of Foyer Oluicon, would you rather have it cost $6,750,000 or would you rather have it cost $14,500,000? that is a big difference. And, and oh, by the way, I made an error here. Everything I just said was on Foyer Oluicon, not on Big uh, Fatakase. Okay? That was a mistake on my part. That, this is on Foyer Oluicon. So scratch everything I said. You've got to restructure him. He's a huge part of this defense. He was arguably the best player on this defense. All right. If not Josh Allen, it was Foyer Oluicon. You must restructure him. Cam Robinson is the biggest argument that I'm going to have with you people. I'm cutting him and I'm bringing in $17,750,000. Others say no way, restructure his deal. So you could honestly have this organization restructure Christian Kirk, Foyer Oluicon, and Cam Robinson. For my money, I'm restructuring Kirk, I'm cutting Sheriff, I'm restructuring Aloakon, I'm cutting Cam Robinson, I'm cutting Fatokase, I'm cutting Rayshon Jenkins. The la- I'm cutting Zay Jones. Got a cap figure of $10,752,000. Let's see, the dead cap money is $3 million. What is it, post? Uh, yada, yada, yeah. Let's see, Zay Jones. All right, makes more money to cut, cut him. Jacksonville's in a situation where, where, according to OverTheCap.com, it makes more sense to cut most of these players post-June 1st. And again, not to be redundant, that'll hurt them as far as overall money in pursuit of premier free agents in March. It'll create money down the road. Maybe there are other teams that are going to be like the Jaguars and they're going to have to say goodbye to two or three prominent players post-June 1st for the exact same reason that I'm saying right now, that the Jaguars are going to have to do. Don't know the answer to that question. Uh, The last one I'll give you is Darius Williams. Been a lot of talk about Darius Williams and press man. 
A lot of talk about Darius Williams um, in coverage in Ryan Nielsen's new defensive scheme. No one is going to dismiss the fact that Darius Williams was the best corner this year on this football team. But he becomes one of three members of that secondary who will be playing in the final year of their contract. Darius Williams, Tyson Campbell, and Andre Sisco are all up for a big-time pay raise beginning in 2025. Again, it's just another one of a plethora of decisions that Trent Baalke is going to have to make. If you cut Darius Williams, he's got a cap figure of $11,500,000. You get back $11 million. Your dead cap money is five hundred grand. When you look at that, it says, without question, cut him. Bring in the $11 million. But are you going to find a better corner than what Darius Williams gave you last year? So when I look at this, I say no. Even though the money makes sense, the player equals the money. The player is bigger than the money unless they don't think he can play in this new defensive scheme. Darius Williams has been a much better zone coverage football player. What's he going to be like one-on-one at the line of scrimmage? Pressing wide receivers. What's he going to be like when you're asking him to be in man coverage against the number one or number two wide receiver? Uh, that you are facing becomes an enormous decision for this team. So that's just my early thought on, on those eight players. I got three restructures. I got, uh, I got four cuts, and I got one leave it alone. The one I'm going to leave alone is Darius Williams. I'm just going to leave it as is. Let him play the final year of his contract out. You want to comment on that, you can. 641-1010 on our text line. That is the best way for you to join us. More with this in 20 minutes. John Osher will join me on the Jags. Coming up next, let's take a look at the money. Where's it going? It's Championship Sunday. We are joined by the Philly Godfather. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. All right, here the music. You know what that means. Time for the Philly Godfather. We'll take a look at Championship Sunday. But as we do that, let's bring in the incomparable J.J. LaSelva, who has breaking news. Jim Harbaugh is now the Chargers head coach. Very interesting. Took a while for that to happen. Uh, We were talking yesterday, or make that up Monday in Atlanta, about the Jaguars' new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen and a lot of people in Atlanta were hoping that even though Belichick had interviewed twice, that it was Jim Harbaugh who would get the job in Atlanta. So that in moments ago, Harbaugh, that leaves a vacancy now at Michigan. And our next guest, the Philly, uh, the Philly Godfather, struck gold picking Michigan to win a national championship. And what did you have, Philly Godfather? Nine to one odds on the Wolverines? Yeah, I bet him before the season started. I bet him at nine to one and eight to one. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, they cashed. I mean, he did a great job. And uh, I know Justin Herbert's happy. Finally gets a quarter uh, quarterback. You saw what he did with you know, oh, yeah. Kaepernick out in San Francisco. Imagine what he's going to do with Justin Herbert, who might be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. No doubt about it. All right, big move there in Los Angeles. Let's get right after it. Two enormous games coming up on Sunday. Uh, the first one is at 3 o'clock on CBS. Kansas City won a road game last week with Patrick Mahomes. Can they do it this week? In Baltimore, I was interested, Philly Godfather, that this is like Baltimore's first home championship game, conference championship game, I want to say since 1971. Wow, it's a long time. They've been waiting a long time for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your thoughts uh, the, on the game? Yeah, the price on this game uh, opened up, uh, Baltimore opened up minus three and a half out in Vegas. It dipped down to three and now shot back up to minus four. And the main reason is they're missing, you know, one of the best offensive linemen uh, in the NFL. He's not going to play this week. Uh, and Kansas City looked great over the last two weeks against uh, Miami and Buffalo. But let's, we've got to be honest. I mean, both teams were decimated with injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I loved Kansas City that last week because of that reason. I bet him on the money line. I bet him plus three. I bet him the alternate line. But this week, uh, I like Baltimore here. I mean, uh, I like Baltimore on an alternate spread. I laid nine and a half plus 200. I uh, laid the three and a half. I also took him on the money line, and I put him in a bunch of teasers. Main reason being is Kansas City hasn't played a defense this good all season. The best defense Kansas City has played this year was the Patriots, and we all know how bad that team is. And the Ravens are probably the best offense they've also faced uh, this season. So as great as Kansas City looked over the past two weeks, now they're playing a real complete team that isn't injured, and Baltimore is the healthier team going into this matchup. And as of right now, right around 55% of tickets are on Baltimore. Uh, so that doesn't sway me at all, but I think Baltimore rolls on this team. All right. Uh, yeah, as you pointed out, Derek Nottie gone for the year with a tricep off that defensive line. Uh, Willie Gay came out of the game with a neck. Uh, Mike Edwards, a concussion. Also, their great corner with Jerry Sneed, not 100% with a calf. So on that defensive side, Kansas City really beaten up. Uh, Baltimore could get back Mark Andrews, and we'll see about their defensive back, one of them uh, at least, in Marlon Humphrey. All right, what about the, uh, the nightcap here? I guess it's 630. It'll begin. That is Detroit traveling out to San Francisco. Yeah, this line originally opened up 49ers minus 7 with a combined total set at 52 in the offshore market. And since then, we've seen a one-point down tip on the total down to 51. Uh, the side was actually kissed during the week by some sharp money that took the Lions plus 7, which forced the bookmakers to lower that price down to 6.5 before it rebounded back to minus 7, where it's basically painted on your uh, screens everywhere. So minus 7 everywhere. As of right now, about 55% of the early action is on the Detroit Lions. Um, but to be honest, this game is, at this price, it's a tough game to handicap. I mean, for the reason being that the Lions offensively, I mean, they're one of the best teams in the NFL. They're ranked third in yards per play, fifth in yards per pass attempt, fifth in yards per rush attempt. Detroit uh, also has one of the best offensive lines in the NFL this season. I mean, they protect their quarterback. They're ranked fifth in the, in the league in QB sacks allowed per game. Uh, but to be honest, uh, if we look at these two quarterbacks, here, Brock Purdy and Goff, I know Purdy's looked really good at times, but Goff has better numbers on the year. He's the better passer. I got more trust in uh, Goff's arm than I do in Brock Purdy's. You saw him last week yeah. uh, overthrowing a bunch of people. Purdy just didn't look the same. But on the defensive side of the ball, that's where you know the Lions have big issues. They rank in the basement of the NFL in almost every defensive metric. But when it comes to stopping the run, the Lions rank fifth in opponent yards for rush attempt, which is huge come playoff time. The 49ers, on the other hand, rank 17th in that metric. 
I think the 49ers win in a real close game. I put them in a bunch of seven-point teasers and tease them down to basically a pick them. But when it comes to the point spreads, I think the Lions can stay in this game. I mean, offensively, one of the best teams the uh, 49ers have faced all season. I think seven points is a little too much here. And if you look at what the Packers did last week, they outrushed them by 25 yards. They had one more first down than San Francisco did. And they almost won the game, and they actually lost the turnover battle 2 to nothing. and they were still in the game because they could run the ball. I think the Lions can run the ball in the 49ers. I think they cover the point spread. I know when you look at weather, the one thing that always sticks out for you is win. But after seeing what Purdy did last week in the rain, if, if you're undecided with this, is this worth checking weather late on, uh, on Sunday to see if there is rain in San Francisco? Um, yeah, you, you always got to pay attention to everything, rain, uh, wind, uh, wind is the biggest deciding factor, you know, if, if I'm going to move on the total, because it affects the game the most. So wind, wind more than anything. Yeah. All right. Hey, Philly Godfather, how can our listeners, uh, follow you on Twitter and get everything that uh, you have out there? Yeah. You can follow me on Twitter at Philly Godfather. You can stop by the Philly Godfather.com. Always a pleasure, sir. Best of luck on your plays. Good luck, guys. There he goes. Philly Godfather. So. He's got to play San Francisco in a bunch of teases, which means you just, you know, he'll tease down the seven to, you know, probably just win, right? I'm guessing six point, seven point, maybe eight point teasers. Um, in some situations, he'd even be getting a point, but kind of likes Detroit plus the points. Interesting. I'm looking at Detroit now. Their offensive line is nicked up. Frank Ragno went out. Chris Collinsworth made it sound like he had surgery. Um, when Detroit was on defense and Ragnow came back and toughed it out. But he's got an ankle, a toe, a knee, and a back. This is one of the first times that I have been studying injury reports in my life that I have ever seen a football player listed with four different injuries, okay? An ankle, a toe, a knee, and a back. Uh, So the conclusion there, oh, he'll absolutely play. Jonah Jackson is out with his knee. And they got a couple of defensive guys uh, nicked up as well. San Francisco's the healthiest team of the four, but it's a big one. They're waiting on the shoulder of Debo Samuel. Remember, he went out early in that game. I think it was the first quarter. Might have been early in the second quarter, but he went out really early against um, Detroit, or excuse me, against uh, Green Bay last week. Uh, JJ and I will make our picks on Friday. JJ's been on fire. He was four for four. Last week, as I was two for four, uh, are you in love with any one of these? Not necessarily point spread, but just in general? No. Neither am I. I think they're going to be great football games. I I think the Chiefs will win, but I don't feel very strong about it. Do you really? Do you really? Wow. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of leaning towards Baltimore. I I think it's all finally on Lamar Jackson. He's going to win his second MVP. Um, so, you know, here we are. We talk about how few there are in football who has won a Super Bowl as a quarterback, starting quarterback. And, again, you got three newcomers in, and you got Pat Mahomes. But Jackson would win it for the first time. And then, obviously, you get Goff and Purdy. And, you know, what's really ironic about that matchup is it's the top overall pick in the draft, number one, in Goff, and then the final pick in that year's draft class, which was selection number 262, Mr. Irrelevant with Brock Purdy. Uh, I find myself liking Detroit a little bit. I do. 
And I wonder about the weather. Usually bad weather would affect a home team, right? Detroit's a dome team. Detroit's still a cold weather team because they have matchups at Chicago. They have matchups at Green Bay. But they're a dome team. But Jason Goff has looked like the better quarterback to me so far in the playoffs uh, compared uh, compared to Brock, uh, Brock Purdy. And, boy, I tell you what, if Debo can't go, that's a huge blow for San Francisco. All right, your thoughts on that are good. 641-1010 if you'd like to join us. That is our text line, which is brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Let's bring in John Osher next. Let's get back to the Jaguars and what they're doing right now defensively with their staff. Also, if you're with us for the first time, it has just been announced. Jim Harbaugh is the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. So we'll have more on that coming up in hour number two. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. That's a busy night, no doubt about it. A lot of things coming in. Big Fangio earlier today out as the D coordinator in Miami. Talked that he could go to Philadelphia. They also interviewed Mike Caldwell, the former Jaguar defensive coordinator. And moments ago, Jim Harbaugh is announced as the new head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. So all of a sudden there's a vacancy uh, at Michigan, although many believe that it's going to promote from within. Cheryl Moore will take over that job at, uh, at Michigan. We'll find out. Obviously, we'll be tracking that. But let's get back to Jaguar talk. Are you senior writer? At Jaguars.com is John Osher. We talk with John all the time right here on Into the Night. Uh, John, appreciate a few minutes. Vic Fangio became a bad coach again, huh? Vic Fangio, yeah, man. Well-traveled. Well-traveled well, man. He, he, he's, he's a good coach, and uh, that's my pet peeve this time of year. A guy's getting fired when they're good coaches with stuff beyond their control, but people get tired of me. People get tired of hearing me say that, right? Yeah. Uh, is We've been doing this for a while, but does it seem like the breaks have kind of been on uh, almost everything? I mean, we had nine vacancies, Jared Mayo immediately, but, I mean, the Belichick thing hasn't happened. Carolina hasn't happened. A lot of these things haven't happened, and now we're seeing even more jobs open, top coordinator positions, and and now Jim Harbaugh in Michigan all of a sudden opens. Well, it does seem – and I – I think this is silly season beyond anything. Used. I think way too many coordinators get fired way too fast. Uh, the Packers make the playoffs and their coordinator gets fired. You know, So uh, I don't know the details of that, but that happens way too often in my book. Yeah. It does seem like, however, that the hiring processes for these teams, they do seem to be taking a little longer, and you're not seeing dominoes fall within three or four days after the season. I, I haven't done any analytics to know if that's true or not, but it, it does feel like the teams are uh, like the Titans just hired. So that that makes that what a two week process for them. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty extended. Uh, so maybe they're taking their time a little bit. Uh, I don't necessarily think that'll be a trend. My guess is there'll be one year where somebody gets hired and everybody presses the panic button and goes after it. So. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems like it's taken a little longer. Uh, you know, I don't know if that'll mean more success for these guys because it seems like every year, Rick, there's seven or eight. It does seem like a coordinator's, there's much more of a feel of if you saw one little thing wrong, fire the coordinator, fire the defense, fire the offense. 
it seems like that is picked up yeah. where that's a little more quick trigger than it was, but maybe I'm just, uh, maybe I have, uh, what's that thing that, you know, recency bias. Yeah. Who knows? Um, the Jaguars were patient here with Ryan Nielsen. Atlanta blocked Jacksonville when they initially wanted to speak with him. And then, you know, a few days after the fact, he became available. I guess the thinking is, uh, and this would be a guess, that Belichick gets the job. Belichick's going to run his defense, bring in his own people. So Nelson became available, and the Jaguars were able to pick him up on Monday. What's your understanding about Ryan Nielsen? Well, it, it also may have been, and I don't have sources in Atlanta to tell me this, but uh, it also may have been, look, you blocked him. If the Belichick or the hiring is going to take three or four weeks, two or three weeks even, you do get to a point where it's not really fair to the guy. Hey, we're going to block you, and then guess what? In three and a half weeks when we hire a head coach, you're out. Uh, there may have been a little conversation between agents, between people on the team, and saying, hey, look, if you're going to take two or three weeks on this, that ain't right. And they may have realized, you know what, that's not right. I, and now, Guys get treated unfairly all the time, and that's maybe that had nothing to do with it. But that would be my instinct. Everything you hear, Rick, uh, I did talk to people in Atlanta who uh, who work on my level, which is a low level. <laughs> that <laughs> he, he's a great guy. Uh, he he inspires players. He he can be in front of the room. Uh, veterans in in different places I've seen speak spoke very highly of his of his ability to teach. Calais Campbell, you know, in stories I read last year on Ryan Nielsen, the veterans in that group spoke very highly of his approach. Uh, he, his buzzwords are attack and aggression. Uh, show me an unaggressive defensive coordinator, and it'll be the first I've seen. <laughs> but th- that is what he talks about. Mm-hmm. And he had success last year. Uh, it's, it, it it makes sense in this sense, you know, uh, they had a good defense and the whole staff gets fired. So it wasn't like anybody was blaming the defense in Atlanta last year. So uh, if, if you felt like you had to make a change, uh, this, this direction makes sense. Uh, I'm not a huge coordinator guy. So you're not going to hear me sitting there talking that a coordinator fixes everything. I, I don't necessarily believe that, but if you're going to go a direction, this one makes as much sense as any. John Osher's our guest, senior writer, Jaguars.com. Get everything from uh, John and his staff. Just log on to Jaguars.com. He joins Rick Ballou here on Into the Night. Yeah, my, my understanding, I've read a lot as well, that he did a really good job, his, his players did at getting to the quarterback with not a quote-unquote outstanding pass rusher. Right. And, you know, it's you and I have had so many conversations about 4-3 and 3-4, and it kind of feels like the out is, well, nowadays it really doesn't even matter because most teams – are playing nickel coverage uh, the major percentage of the time, and and it kind of eliminates that. But when you look at his style of press defense and man-to-man compared to what Jacksonville did most successfully last year with zone coverage, how do you think that's all going to work out? Yeah, what I don't know, and, you know, he hasn't spoken yet, and I haven't, you know, I haven't talked to him. Uh, so I haven't – I don't know philosophy. I don't – Yes, they played a lot of man last year. Uh, did they do that because they felt their personnel was more geared to that? Uh, you know, that could be some of it. So I don't necessarily want to jump off that 
off that cliff and saying they're going to be an all-man team, they're going to do all this. Uh, you know, I'm assuming that most good coaches can adapt to their personnel. Uh, I would think there'd be a little bit of that. Uh, it, if he's hell-bent, we have to play man-to-man at all costs. Uh, then maybe there's stuff they need to do in the secondary different. I don't know enough about that yet, Rick, to comment yeah. on it intelligently. Uh, so I do know that sometimes those things get a little overplayed because a lot of it's percentages. Um, you know, I've had multiple coordinators tell me, look, nobody can play man all the time. Nobody can play zone all the time because if all you do is one look, then offenses figure that out and it, and they go right after it. So you're often talking about, you know, a difference of playing one forty percent and one sixty percent and vice versa. Does that change your entire personnel acquisition? Somewhat. Uh, but it, it's hard in this league to overhaul your entire defensive or offensive personnel in one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, contracts come into play. Yeah, no question. All right, uh, let's wrap it tomorrow. Uh, what do you expect with the Trent Balky press conference? Well, you know, I think uh, from everything I hear, a lot of media uh, has a lot of questions they want answered. You know, I don't know exactly what the tone of it's going to be. I I don't know exactly what everybody's going to ask. Uh, so I I would think there'll be something along the lines of, what did you like? What went wrong? Uh, you know, there, there's all this stuff out there about who made this hire, uh, what different people thought about different things. I have no idea how much he'll get into that. I, I have no idea if, if those things are even real for him to have anything to say about that. So I, I think it'll be interesting. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, have been waiting for him to speak. So there's going to be a lot of, uh, I would think, pointed questions. What those answers will be, uh, I have no idea. Historically, Trent has had no problem being asked stuff and answering stuff, but I have no idea what those answers will entail. That's why I'm going to show up at 1130 tomorrow. Yeah. Going to be, (laughs) be interesting. I'll be there. Yeah. I'll be there as (laughs) well. I'll see you down there tomorrow, John. Always a lot of fun. Thank you. Rick. Thanks buddy. There he goes. John Osher, senior writer, jaguars.com. Should be a very interesting press conference. And, um, I, I just don't know. I don't know what to expect, but I, th- there's a little bit of excitement. Uh, there, there's not, there, there hasn't been a lot of times where I've been excited about the next day to go to a press conference. Okay, they're, they're typically there, and you hope they're somewhat informative. Um, obviously, the message is uh, to, to get what they say and deliver it to you as the Jaguars fans. That's why we're here. There's no other way. But, you know, selfishly, I'm always looking for a nugget or two that I can come back and, and, and use as perhaps the main topic of, of that particular show, that day's show. You're always, you know, you're looking for something. As I said to you a million times, I enjoy the offseason more than the in-season. And so, so many of these OTAs and voluntary workouts can be – I don't want to say useless because they are important, but not as many members um, of the media will go, you know, and I've always loved it because it's a fresh set of eyes on something. It's a conversation 
that you may have with someone. And then it's a comment or two that's made with a player after or a coach after that all of a sudden you can be like, all right, you know, this is new and this is fresh. And you bring it with you uh, to the next show. It gives you something. I'll have a lot tomorrow. I, I, whether he says something where we're like, wow, or I didn't say anything at all, I still think if you're present and you pay attention, the questions that are asked, the way that he answers them could be basically a long-winded no comment. And you may get that in a creative way. Or you may get answers that you expect. For instance, if someone says, uh, you know, and, and let's just say, hey, coach, uh, or hey, Trent, we heard there was a power struggle on Ryan Nielsen, right? You wanted him, Doug Peterson did not. I don't expect him to say, hey, man, that's a great question. Yeah, we had it out for three hours, and then I finally took the rubber hammer and pounded the table and said, Ryan Nielsen's our defensive coordinator. End of story. I, I don't expect to get an answer like that. But when the question is asked, you can tell by his facial expression, you can tell by the way his body language is that, that it's such a rumor that maybe he laughs it off or you're touching on a subject where there's some truth. And I'm having a little bit of an issue trying to work my way through it. I'm sure he's already prepared for every single type of question that is coming. I, I don't think there'll be one That'll shock him tomorrow. I think he's a clever enough guy that he knows what's coming. But I still think it's important to be there and uh, to try to get an understanding. Again, I the Doug Peterson press conference kind of it ended up being disappointing, only because you know three hours after Doug said, "I need some time to figure this out," we found out that the defensive coordinator had been fired and several assistants have been fired. And logic just tells you, well, what happened? Now, he was 30 minutes late getting there. And I know he had exit interviews, but he was 30 minutes late. And it's like, this, was he having a major conversation with Trent? Was he having a major conversation with Shai Khan? Something going on. Then he answered the questions, got out of there. And then three hours later, it's announced. If you listen to that press conference, you would not think that it would happen in three hours' time you would have thought it would have taken at least a day. So that begs questions as to what happened. And, you know, I think there'll be something along those lines tomorrow here with Trent Baalke. Uh, one other thing that John Osher and I, I didn't ask John about this, but um, obviously you are aware of the fact that uh, Jacksonville did keep three defensive coaches. And Bill Shuey has obviously done a really good job with Trayvon Walker, who improved significantly year one to year two. Some of you out there don't want to hear me say that because you have your agenda, your opinion is made up. Trayvon Walker played better football at the end of the year. I've read some stuff out there that sounds a little bit like this. Wait till Ryan Nielsen gets his hands on Trayvon Walker. I I don't know what that means, okay? Bill Shuey is still there with, you know, and – Josh Allen, there's no way they're going to let him go. You're either going to franchise tag him or, or give him a, an incredible contract. And, uh, you know, Pat Riley is back and Roy Seacrest is back, assistant defensive line coach, Riley defensive uh, control coach, quality control coach. So, you know, th- those are important jobs, but 
obviously outside of linebacker was the best positional group that the Jaguars had this past year. Would you have combined their 27 and a half sacks? I think the team had around what 37, 38, and or maybe it was 40, but you got those two uh, giving you that percentage. That that's really impressive. So, yes, tomorrow will be uh, interesting. It's going to be can't miss radio tomorrow night, beginning at six o'clock, and uh, that'll obviously be the case throughout the afternoon and into my show. No doubt about it, but I'm already looking forward to tomorrow, including tomorrow night at six. All right, when we do return, let's get to uh, let's get to some of the scheduling that came out today in the Atlantic Coast Conference. We'll also keep you updated on everything that's happening with the Jags. Okay, you, you know about Ryan Nielsen. I reported yesterday that Dave Huxtable is joining the staff as a he was a senior defensive assistant in Atlanta that he'll be rejoining. Ryan Nielsen. Uh, there's a report out as well now from Tom Pelissaro of NFL Media that Matt House is coming in as the linebackers coach. He was a defensive coordinator for LSU. The last two years, he was the Kansas City Chiefs linebacker coach in years 2019 through 2021. So, that is there. Uh, we've got a few more vacancies in the NFL with the announcement that Jim Harbaugh is going to the Los Angeles Chargers. Oh, yeah. And we have a huge vacancy right now in the world of college football. If they do not promote from within with Sharon Moore, the one candidate that you keep hearing about going to Michigan is LSU's Brian Kelly. So we'll keep our eyes and ears on that one as well. we got much more to do with you tonight till 8 o'clock. Let's go into the night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, the ACC released their schedules tonight. Let's take a look at the Knolls and the Canes. I also want to wish my mom a happy birthday in heaven. It's her first birthday in heaven. It's the first one here without us, so uh, she would have been 81 today. I don't get sad much at all. I, I go happy to mad, mad to happy, and, and I, I just, I don't know. I am struggling to get sad because just witnessing her at the end and, and how much pain she was in, um, I'm just glad that that's not the case anymore. Maybe in time that'll happen, but <clears throat> right now I just, I, I just don't get that way because – the pain is gone for any parent that you have that you see. It's just so, so awful that that happens towards the end of your life. Real quick, though, my mom's a diehard Patriots fan. You know, she's keen New Hampshire, and she robbed, uh, love robbed um, uh, Ninkovich was her favorite player at Jetter Jersey. But anyway, she's a huge Pats fan, and. You know, they spent the last three years in Tampa, but they was always in Boston, and, and you know, I talked to them here and there. And, you know, how parents do when they, when they get old. They kind of repeat themselves. And she had had several brain surgeries, uh, brain, t- you know, tumors and all that, and, and it, it had an effect on her mind. But I always knew it was going to come. As soon as I was in a conversation with her, she would go to the, hey, Rick, have you heard about Aaron Hernandez? And I don't know if I've ever said this before on the radio, but she, this happened probably – Six straight months. Every time I talk to her, have you heard about Aaron Hernandez? I'm like, yep. Yeah. 
She's like, you know, such a shame. Uh, you know, beautiful family and great player and had all that money. And then she'd always say to me, do you think he's going to get out of jail? And I'd say, Mom, I do not. So that was always a conversation. And then finally, one day, it's the same thing. And it's during the season, and she said, hey, Rick, Aaron Hernandez. Can you believe what happened? I'm like, nah, I can't, Mom. This is just nuts. I mean, shocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great family, all this money. Do you think he'll ever get out of jail? And I say, no, Mom, I, I, I don't. I don't think he's ever going to get out of jail. And she drops a four-letter bomb on me and then says, the Patriots need him. And I thought it was one of the most hilarious things that my mom said under the state and condition that she was. So, anyway. She was a fascinating lady. And I miss her very much. Been almost a year. I think, you know, March 21st will be one year. So hug your mom and dad. Uh, Florida State, their schedule was announced today. They're going to play on August 24th in Dublin. They're a 12 and a half point favorite against Georgia Tech. That's a sneaky ball game. Tech will be ready. They always are. Well-coached team. Uh, I believe Chris Wenke's still the quarterback coach at Georgia Tech. Don't know if they made a change at quarterback like more than half the schools did uh, this past year. Uh, we shall see. But Florida State opens up in Dublin against Georgia Tech. A week later, it's a home opener. It'll be Labor Day evening. That's Monday, September 2nd against Boston College. Then there's a bye week. So they get a bye in week three. Actually, technically, it's week two. Because the Georgia Tech game is considered week zero. The BC weekend in God's country is considered week one. Like Florida State in both those games, that's 2-0. Memphis comes in after the bye, like the Knowles. 3-0. Cal comes in. California. Congratulations, Jim Phillips. Way to bring in a great academic school and an awful athletic one. Cal. In their first trip to God's country. That's on Saturday, September 21st. I like the Knowles. Four and zero. You go to SMU. Saturday, September 28th. SMU had a real good season. Smack dab what? Right in the middle of uh, Dallas. Fort Worth, right? In Rice. Rice is in there. SMU's right in Dallas. I like the Knowles. Five and zero. Clemson comes in Saturday, October 5th. I like Florida State. Six and zero. A bye week. And then you go and you face Duke on a Friday night, October 18th. I like the tribe. I do. That's seven and oh for Florida State. Oh, you go to Miami. Oh, my goodness, JJ LaSelva. You go to Hard Rock. You go to Miami on October 26th. You get the extra day of rest because of a Friday night tilt at Duke. I like Florida State, 8-0. North Carolina comes in Saturday, November 2nd. I like the Knowles. That's 9-0. You go to Notre Dame Saturday, November 9th. Oh, I remember going to Notre Dame in November 1993. It was the game of the century, number one, number two. Notre Dame a winner on that day. I also went to a Notre Dame-Florida State game when I was living in Chicago. 
I don't remember the month of that game, but I want to say it was like 44 to nothing Florida State. It was like Chris Rick's best game as a Seminole. He threw like five touchdown passes to uh, Dakota Fag and, and uh, Crafonzo Thorpe. Now, like the Knowles at Notre Dame in the cold, 10 and 0. Charlie South, November 23rd. I expect the Knowles to be down in this game, like 13 0. Run DJ Uyunglele out. He tears his leg wide open. The Knowles come from behind and win it. They go to 11 and 0. And then I got them over Florida. On Saturday, November 3rd, I got Florida State 12-0 for their 2024 college football schedule. Let's bring in J.J. LaSalva and let's go over the U. The U opens up on Saturday, October 31st at the University of Florida. I'm told you will be in attendance for that one. Uh, Possibly, yeah. Be an interesting game for both programs. Huge start of the year for both programs. Yes. Miami at Florida. You have a feeling on it? Um, not in January. No, I don't. I'm I'm gonna take uh I'm gonna take the U to upset Florida. FAMU. Right now, they haven't announced their coach. Right now it's former Florida State defensive back James Colsey on the interim at FAMU, unless they have, and I missed it. Um but I, I I like the Canes chances there. Two wins are Ball State, three and zero at South Florida. So you get the Tampa market. That's good for recruiting. I like your Canes. That's four and Va Tech at home. That's five and zero. Wow. At Cal, I got you for six and zero. At Louisville, I'm going to put up a loss there. Louisville's had the best transfer portal class of anyone. Twenty four transfers have come in. And they're really bragging uh, about that. The Knowles a week later, that's uh, that's at home. I already said I like Florida State, so that's 6-2. and two. Have you over Duke on Saturday, November 2nd? 7-2 and two at Georgia Tech is an interesting game. Could I go 8-2, and two, Wake 9-2? The naked eye is giving me a 10-2, and 9-3 season for the Hurricanes. Thoughts? I that would be good. Ten and two, nine and three for Miami. So there you go. A non-conference games: Florida, Florida State, Ball State, and South Florida. Their first four games are non-conference. Miami will not play in the ACC until the final weekend of September. It's actually a Friday night game against Vatech, and then you get eight straight conference games. Tech, Cal, Louisville, Florida State, Duke, at Georgia Tech, Wake, at Syracuse. Two of their last three are at home. That's alarming, although the game in Syracuse is indoors. Uh, At Georgia Tech, you never really know what the weather's going to be like that time of year in Atlanta. Uh, Road games are manageable. Outside of Florida and outside of Louisville, the, the others are very winnable. In Tampa? Uh, in Northern Cal, which is a long trip. And again, at Atlanta, at Syracuse. Uh, so let me go back here and look at Florida State as far as their non-conference. Of course, they're going to wrap up with Florida. All right, yeah, so Florida State actually begins with two conference games. And then they have non-conference with Memphis. And they get back into the conference 
are they only playing – is this right here? One, two – Memphis is a non-conference game. Uh, Charlie South and Florida – oh, well, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is technically a non-conference game. So there you go. Florida State's season wraps up with three non-conference matchups. At Notre Dame, Charlie South, and Florida. And I, I guess, what, the way that the rule reads that if Notre Dame wins enough of those games, they, they could be eligible for an Atlantic Coast Conference championship. I, I know that's the case, obviously, in hoops. I don't know if that's the case in football. Let me just look at Notre Dame before the break. Texas Notre Dame opens up at Texas A&M. How cool is that? Is that a neutral game? It is not. Then they have Northern Illinois, Purdue, Miami of Ohio. So they have ACC tilts against Louisville, Georgia Tech. That's two, Florida State, three, and Virginia, four. So they only have four games in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So, no, they're, they're not eligible for any type of, uh, of ACC championship game. And it's sad to look at the schedule, man. No Michigan, right? That's gone. They still wrap up at USC. I wonder how much longer they're going to keep that relationship going. Notre Dame and USC. There's not a lot of great non-conference games that are still there. And we're going to have less and less and less with the addition to these new conferences. Still, the best non-conference matchup you're going to get every year is Florida-Florida State and Notre Dame-USC. But outside of that, they're really few and far between. Which, which I don't like. But maybe you'll get more of like Notre Dame's at Texas A&M. I, I do think that we're going to get better non-conference matchups, but it's going to be like a one-year or two-year deal, a home-and-home, home, or maybe a one-year on a neutral site. I got to believe that we're going to get better games in our future, uh, so it's going to be better for the college football fan as opposed to just taking on a cupcake. But, yeah, a lot of these traditional rivalries are absolutely coming to an end. All right, we got our final thoughts coming up on the other side. Unfortunately, our good friend Hacker Nation under the weather tonight, so he will not be with you at 8, but we will. We'll take you up to then right here on Into the Night. Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. All right, a lot of news today in the world of sports. Jim Harbaugh in for the Los Angeles Chargers. The Michigan job all of a sudden is open. And that is one of the major problems with college football and the transfer portal. I mean, look what happened to Alabama. It also happened to Washington, but I didn't get the coverage around here in the Deep South. You're fully aware of the 30 days that Bama players had and how many got up and left. And, uh, and went to other schools, I, I would totally expect that to be the case right now at Michigan. Unless Michigan was prepared for this and that Sharon Moore is the guy and that they announced that almost immediately. They're, you know, again, you look on Twitter, what have you, there's all this talk about Brian Kelly. And if that was the case, then LSU would then – become just like Alabama and just like Michigan. That 30-day window would open. Now, it gets a little bit complicated now because school has begun. I don't know. I don't know the rules within it. Um, You can announce you're leaving, but you're not eligible to actually, I guess, go to your next school until the next semester. So 
that could be an issue as well. But we'll certainly keep updated with that. Vic Fangio, by many, considered one of the better defensive coordinators in all of college football, out in Miami, apparently a mutual decision. Uh, this talk to Philadelphia is bringing him in. Philadelphia had interviewed Mike Caldwell, who, of course, was relieved of his duties recently here in Jacksonville. The Jags apparently have their third defensive coach. Matt House has been a linebacker coach at LSU and also a defensive coordinator at LSU the last two years. All right. Before that, he was the linebackers coach for the Kansas City Chiefs years 2019 through 21. He will join Ryan Nielsen as a defense coordinator. Dave Huxtable as well is going to be on this defensive staff. I reported that on yesterday. No official release by the Jags. Let's wrap it up with a few of your thoughts. 59-51. Uh, Baloo, it's your typical rock and a hard place situation. If you hold out, cut, and make the money, you lose the people. Everybody's trying to keep that can lower away if you're stuck with the bag and I'm in. You get in all the same kind of people we're trying to get rid of from other teams. I don't know, but well, yeah, it, it, it is a very complicated situation. Most players want to stay where they are, all right? They're comfortable with the team. They're comfortable with the city. Very rarely do you hear a guy who has an opportunity to make a tremendous amount of money in free agency, that that's it, I'm leaving, um, don't want to be here that much longer. I don't know that that's the case with a, guy like Cal, uh, with a guy like Josh Allen. My guess is that Josh Allen would rather be here, win here, than anywhere else. Maybe wrong. A guy like Calvin Wrigley, I think that would be different. Wrigley's been here for one year. You know, he hadn't been here for his entire career. But, yeah, that's the risk of it. You, you, you got to make some moves here. And this organization is, uh, is going to have to do that. Uh, 52-62, Baloo, uh, um, Dewan Smoot looks cooked. Uh, do you think we'll get anything out of Devon Hamilton? I, I certainly hope so. And I've said this quite a, mu- quite a bunch, quite a bit. He was by far the best defensive lineman on the Jaguars team in the month of August at the Miller Electric Center. He was injured, and he wasn't the same after the fact. They gave him his money. I've I, I got to believe that the way that the contract is structured, you know, this is a hit-or-miss year for Devon Hamilton. He's going to have to live up to that contract if he wants to, you know, play out the remainder of his career here. Uh, it's It's got to be that way for him in my particular opinion. But we'll see what ends up happening. Um, I, I really hope so. And that could make a huge difference. Because right? I think Big Foley's gone. I think Roy Robertson Harris has a good chance he could be gone. So you're gonna need you're gonna need two or three bodies. And you know that has to be what they address in the draft. Offensive line, interior offensive line and defensive line has to be part of what they're going after. But you, you're also going to have to get some veterans. And, you know, just bringing in camp bodies is one thing. You have to bring in some guys that you know that you can trust, guys that you can play. Right now, there's not enough of those uh, on this roster. 88-46, Blue, do you think Harbaugh's pulling a Pete Carroll, bouncing around because he knows the NCAA is going to give uh, Michigan the death penalty? Um, 
I guess it's Pete Carroll going the other way. Pete Carroll had success, limited success in New England and New York with the Jets until he went to USC. He was like USC's eighth choice. He certainly got out of there and went to Seattle when problems hit. I, I think this is part of it, but forever we've been talking about Jim Harbaugh leaving, right? Whether he won the national title or not, it just felt like this is it for Jim Harbaugh. I'm sure this is a part of it, that this is the reason one of the reasons why he is going to end up leaving because he knows that Michigan's going to get hit hard. Um, but we'll see. Uh, 0924 Blue, what a sorry schedule for Florida State. I wrote back, okay, 12 and 0. Uh, 0135 Blue, Notre Dame fans are the classiest football fans by far in all of college football. Um, it's a good argument. I think Nebraska is uh, is up there. I'm just thinking about because I'll knock on wood here. I've been to all the big games, including in Notre Dame in '93, the game to say I've been to all the Fiesta Bowls and Orange Bowls in Nebraska and all that. I, I it's just something I did. I went to them all, and I would say Nebraska a slight edge over Notre Dame. You know, I. My brother and I got those seats in 93, 300 bucks a pop. They were really good seats. They were like 40, 45-yard line seats, probably 15 rows up on the Notre Dame side or in the Notre Dame section. There weren't a lot of Florida State fans at that game. So everything was basically a Notre Dame section. But, you know, there are some places you go, it's just vicious. Uh, anywhere in the SEC, obviously Miami, Clemson. But I've never noticed, never really noticed that with Notre Dame. I'm going to give you that. It's a pretty good, that's a pretty good fan base. And you know, when you, where I'm from, in Boston, and you come down here, and you know, this happened when I was a kid, when I went to Florida State. You you cannot believe how much nicer people are here than where I'm from. We are the angriest human beings on this planet. The folks around the East Coast. Feels like things have changed a little bit now everywhere. Everything's so transient now. Everyone's moving. Not many are moving over there. I mean, who the hell move up there unless you got a great job, right? But plenty of moving here. Uh, but in the in 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 the in the late eighties, that was definitely evident. And and I'll tell you what, as friendly as those folks were that I met at Florida State, people in the Midwest, that is an interesting set of circumstances there. That That is a different fan base living in Chicago. Those are really cool fans. Feels like in the deep south and where I'm from in, you know, up east that it's, li- you know, it's, it's life or death. And I didn't notice that with Chicago fans, with Big Ten fans, with, with professional fans and either – Chicago or Milwaukee or St. Louis, whatever. Yeah, yeah, they love their teams, but they were just a better overall fan base, if that makes any sense. Now, today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. Oh, and the lot is full right now at Key Buick GMC right across the street from Tinseltown. Love my GMC Sierra truck from Key. And as well, uh, the GF Herbuick Enclave 
from Key. Again, brand new 24s, still some 23s that are there. All sorts of vehicles, outstanding incentives. Go by and visit them today. That's Key Buick GMC right across the street from Tinseltown, south side in Gate. Um, it's all about tomorrow. 11.30 a.m. I guess we're going to cover the press conference tomorrow here live. And um, Trent Baalke's going to speak. This is, uh, this is a good day for Jaguar fans. It took a little while to get to it. And again, it creates even more questions. But bottom line, tomorrow we are going to hear from the general manager. And there is no shortage of just story after story after story, topic after topic, decision after decision that he is going to have to make. It is just unbelievable. There's never going to be an offseason like this year's offseason. It's just one decision after another. And, and there's a lot of household names, a lot of folks out there that, that you've been big fans of that are not going to be back next year. And Trent Baalke is going to have to figure out who is most important and how do you restructure those contracts. What are you going to do with the remainder of your defensive staff? Still some offensive positions he's got to fill. And then, of course, you know, before you know it, the combine is here. The senior bowl is here. And what? We're 91 days away from the draft. We're less than six weeks away from the legal tampering period at March 11th. I mean, don't blink, folks. These days are just barreling by. So tomorrow's going to be a big day. At 1130, we will talk with Trent Baalke, the Jaguars general manager, try to get the very latest from him. Thank you to John Osher tonight. Thank you to the Philly Godfather tonight. Thank you to you as well. I don't check the text line, so if you want to get me now that the show is over, you can do so on Twitter. Unfortunately, Hacker Nation is sick. Wish him the best. And hopefully he rejoins you tomorrow night. For J.J. LaSelva, my name is Rick Bullough. I'll be at the Trump Bulky Press Conference and talk with you tomorrow night at 6.